Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. I would invite you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5 as we continue to go through this amazing book of Daniel found in the Old Testament. And uh, I want to go back in time to kind of launch us. In 1999, there was a song that hit the Billboard charts. It was a big song, and it was in reference to the coming year, Y2K, the year 2000, when worst case, everything, the whole world ends Best case scenario, the whole world is changed, forever altered, because the computers were going to shut down because they had ill-prepared for the digital sequence of year 2000 Y2K. So this song was written by an artist whose name, the old people would know this, whose name was who? Prince, all right? And this Prince was called Party Like It's 1999, right? And it was all about living this life today as if there is no tomorrow. And so the whole song is about we're going to party tonight because we're going to party like it's 1999 because it could all end tomorrow. Well, it's not, it wasn't a new idea in 1999. In fact, he plagiarized the idea from 2,600 years ago, a guy named Belshazzar, all right? And he wanted to party all night as if there is no tomorrow. And the truth is, let me just go ahead and say, we should all live our lives as if there's no tomorrow because there is no guarantee of a tomorrow. But it's not a party. It's living a life for the purpose that God has put you here to live for. And so uh, Prince wrote the song about do whatever makes you happy. And Belshazzar from, from 539 B.C. had the same idea. And so the title of today's message is this, Party Like It's B.C. 539, all right? And because you're going to see today, this guy knows how to do a party, all right? But we're going to see the outcome of that, the consequences of having a perspective on life that looks like that. And so Party Like It's B.C. 539. Now, in Daniel chapter 4, you'll remember Nebuchadnezzar had been the long-reigning king of Babylon. He had built this enormous, beautiful kingdom. It was fortified. It had wealth and prominence. It was, it, was, it was supernatural. It was incredible. But something happened in chapter 4 after several warnings. Um, after a dream, God gave him a dream. God wanted to change his heart. And he put him in a field acting like an animal. The Bible says that he, his hair grew out like feathers. His fingernails grew out like talons. He couldn't communicate. He ate grass with the ox. For seven years, he had to be humbled. But at the end of the seven years... The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar in in chapter 4, which is a a press conference to the world, he said, listen, but when I looked up to heaven, God changed my heart and changed me. Now, the unfortunate side of that reality is he was old, and he didn't know, but his life was about over. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest rulers in all of 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 history, his game is over. It's done. He disappears into oblivion. And such is life sometimes. You know, we live our lives for ourselves, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so we need to do what it is that God wants us to do. Now, when he died, uh, history tells us that there were several uh, people who jockeyed for that position. Okay, and so for just a few years, it changed hands a lot. It, it had leaders or rulers that rose up, people like Evil Merodach, that's his name, uh, Nera Glasser, Labashi, these are names, and, and it was calamity, it was chaos. One guy would say, I'm the king, 
bam, he's dead. They would murder him. And somebody else, "Uh uh-uh, I got this. And so it just changed hands. But at the end of that sequence of short terms for kings of Babylon, somebody emerges, and it would be Nebuchadnezzar's own son. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Nebuchadnezzar is his name. He's the king, and he is the king, but there's one problem. He is an absentee king. He doesn't stick around in Babylon. He wants to rule from a distance. History or the Bible doesn't tell us if he's uh, gone away on business, if he's got maybe a woman in another town. Okay, no, he had plenty of women there. Okay, it doesn't say if maybe he's out conquering other lands or accumulating wealth. It just says he is not there. But Nebuchadnezzar had a son, and his son is Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is the co-regent, the vice president, the number two in charge. And he leaves uh, Belshazzar in charge of of this amazing kingdom. Now, in chapter 5, the story is not just a story of a terrible king. It's a story of parenting failure. It's a story of not preparing people to do what it is they're supposed to do and to live how it is God wants them to live. And so party like it's BC 539, point number one is this, unqualified, unqualified. Now the story begins in chapter 5 like this. It says, King Belshazzar uh, prepared a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and he was drinking wine in front of them all. So he's on a platform, some commentaries, some translations say, just drinking in front of everybody, okay? He throws a party for a thousand of of the nobles. Now, to go back in time, there's a lot of confusion about the, the, the timelines of leadership in Babylon because the Bible forever was really the only reference that told who was the king and when it took place and what happened. But in the late 1800s and early uh, 1900s, there was some excavation work in modern-day Turkey, which is where Babylon was located. And they excavated these these books or these tablets called the Babylonian Chronicles. It's kind of cool. And it does two things. It fills in the blanks, gives a lot of information about the time of Babylon, but it also authenticates, as if you need it, God's Word. It, it aligns itself with the Word of God. But in, the, in, in this story, it tells us more about what's going on. In fact, it pinpoints this day that we're reading about today. It pinpoints it, pinpoints it as October 12th, 539 B.C. It's a Saturday, all right? And so there's a real date on God's eternal timeline where this happened, okay? And what unfolds in chapter 5 is historically accurate and true. And so in the middle of this, we find this story about an absentee king and, a, a, and a, an unqualified son who steps up to the plate to throw a party. Now, the king, uh, king Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. He's dead. And so what happens when a spoiled, unprepared, what we would call a millennial, steps up and sits on the throne and rules the palace? What's he do? He didn't have video games to play. Okay, so what's he do? He throws a party. All right, And he throws some kind of party. Now, here's the problem. He wasn't qualified for what he was getting ready to do. So it's not all of the fault is not on him. Some of it, uh, uh, it has to be transferred to Nabonidus, the absentee father. I want to speak to fathers for just one second. It is critically important and extremely valuable that you as dads invest the real thing in your sons and in your daughters. 
grandfathers, grandmothers, and mothers will include you. It is critically important that we invest what matters most in our children. Not, to, listen to me, not to qualify them for some financial success, not to qualify them for some kind of a popularity or acclaim for a great worldly accomplishment, listen to me, but to qualify them to be successful in God's calling and God's design for their life. There's no doubt in my mind that when God woke up Nebuchadnezzar by putting him in the field for seven days, there's no doubt God was wanting to do something great in the, in the nation in the kingdom of Babylon. No doubt God wanted to use it for his own glory, but he did not transfer. It didn't transfer from, from uh, Nebuchadnezzar to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and it didn't transfer to Belshazzar. And so there's a drop, there's a drop, there's a disconnect. And so it's important, parents, that we invest in our children what matters most. Because listen, one of the greatest epic failures, not just in America, but also in the world, is absentee fatherhood where fathers, they may be in the home even, but they just don't pass on what's most important in qualifying our children to be all that God wants them to be. Now, it's, it's your job to, to, to prepare them. It just is. The burden rests on our shoulders that we prepare them. Now, the decision to live right is theirs, okay? But the decision to point them in that direction is ours, okay? They have to decide. Our children have to decide, and they are responsible for their own decisions. But as parents, as mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers, it's our job, our responsibility to steer them in the right direction. So I just want to encourage you with that. Now, in this context, this is the context right here where uh, Belshazzar is in charge, unqualified, and what does he do? We're going to throw a party. That's what we're going to do. Okay, so he says, you know what? A big daddy's out of town. The king's on the road. Okay, the palace is mine. And so the women are going to be out. The booze are going to be on tap. Free food for all, no cover charge. You're invited to the greatest party that's ever happened on this planet. All right, and not only that, I got a few tricks up my sleeve. I've got some surprises that you can't even expect. You need to be at this party. The Bible says that a thousand of the reputable nobles of the area came along with women concubines, that's the wilder side of the women, okay, that's the friends would benefit women, okay, they showed up, and now you got all of the party fair, the alcohol is just flowing, and it's a big time, and it turns into a drunken fiasco, it turns into a sexual free-for-all, it turns into a perversion of good and an abomination to everything godly. Now, that's what happens when unqualified people get power, and that's why it's so important that all of us be qualified, not for the world's calling, but for the calling that God has in our life. This party be the greatest party you've ever imagined, the greatest party you've ever seen on television, amped up a thousand times. I mean, money is no object, facilities, nothing greater. It is a big show, all right? And so they're all at this party, unqualified. Number two, I want you to see not only unqualified, the next thing is under the influence. Now watch, watch what happens in verse 2. Under the influence. While, I don't even have to make up these points, all right? While under the influence of wine, let me pause right there because I never take, I never miss the opportunity to tell you how I feel because I'm the pastor of this church. God called me to do this. I am not a fan of alcohol. If you don't know that, listen to your pastor. The, tell your neighbor, the pastor ain't a fan. Just go ahead and say it. 
right? If you choose to drink, that's between you and the Lord Jesus, but I'm not a fan because I have an office back there that has stories, and so I'm not a fan. And all through the Bible, if we'll open up our eyes and open up our ears, we see even for 3,000 years ago it's been a problem, so I just issue a warning and say, in my opinion, stay away from that stuff. It won't help you, and it could potentially destroy your life. Now, let's keep moving. Belshazzar issued an order to bring the gold and silver vessels under the influence. Bring me the gold and the silver vessels. All right? The party's happening. The booze are flowing. The women are dancing. Everything's good. You ain't seen nothing yet. He says, bring me the vessels that my papa stole from the temple. That's what he's calling for. He says, the ones that Nebuchadnezzar, his uh, father. Now, now, right here it says father. Let me open something up. Let me help you understand something. In Hebrew and in Aramaic, there is no word for grandfather. So it's a descendant is all it is. When Abraham was their father, meaning their descendants of Abraham. So it's really his grandfather, when he, the ones he had confiscated from the temple in Jerusalem. Why do I want you to bring them? So the king and the nobles, together with his wives and his concubines, could drink from them. It says, so they brought the gold and silver vessels that had been confiscated from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, together with his wives and the concubines, they drank from them. As they drank wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, when you take an unqualified person, put him in a position of power, put him under the influence, things will not get better. Things can only get worse. And that's exactly what happens in this story 2,600 years ago. So, so what's, what, what's happening is in any situation, if you're throwing a party, you want your party to be better than the last party. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, we raised two little girls. And in our neighborhood, if somebody threw a party, and if they had 50 balloons and a pet squirrel, okay, when we throw our party, we're going to have at least 51 balloons, maybe a pet squirrel and a rabbit. You know what I mean? You always want to one-up the last party. Well, here is Belshazzar, and he's going to one-up the party. We never had a pet squirrel or a pet rabbit, so don't tell me I made that. I lied, okay? I'm telling y'all I lied. I made this. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a story, okay? So what happens is Belshazzar says, we throw in a party. You think this is it? No, it's not, not over yet. I want you to reach into the things of God. I want you to reach into what is called the holy things. I want you to go get the stuff that they said was sanctified and set apart for a particular godly purpose. And I want you to bring it to the party because we're diving deep into this party. We're going to shake our fist in the face of the one who says he's God. We're going to do what nobody said we should do. Why? Because we're going to party like it's B.C. 539. That's why because it's no holds barred. We're going to do what we need to do. Now, it would be like, it would be like had you all come in here today expecting a normal worship service, as normal as we are, and I said, "Woo! I'm glad you all are here. We're going to do something different today. We're having a party today. It's my birthday. We're going to party. It's my birthday. Okay, I'm, up, I'm, I'm, I'm getting fired up. I say, we got something special in store. It's, an, it's not your normal church service. I've filled up the baptistry and I've cranked up the heat. It's a hot tub in the church. Come on in, boys. The water's fine. 
All right. Not only that, I got I got DJ Travis and DJ Tanner. They got some turntables back there. They're gonna do some stuff, man. We're breaking it down. Not only that, we got out the communion cups. You know those little ones that you wish you would get more to choke down, wash down that little dry cracker you tried to swallow. Okay. We got those, we got them filled up with Jack Daniels. We're taking shots out of the communion glasses, okay? Because it's a party up in the church, right? You would think. We need to get out of here before we get struck by lightning. You know you would. And I would hope you would. Okay? Please leave if I do that. Okay? And yet that's what happened. Belshazzar says, listen, there's no holes barred. I don't care what anything, anybody thinks. Why? Because he's unqualified and now he's under the influence. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says about people who live a life being unqualified and under the influence. It's our culture. It's, who, it's where we live. When you turn on the news, it's what you see. When you rent a movie on Netflix, it's what you see. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 1. The author says this about this culture, unqualified and under the influence. Now, let me, I'll explain in just a minute. It says, for although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. They did not give Him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and in their senseless hearts. They were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. And therefore God gave them over to the desires of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It goes on and says, for this reason, God gave them over to the dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And likewise, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed in their passions for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God responded. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. You see, there's a place where God says, you know, I, I, I hear your heart. I watch your actions. That's what you want. Enjoy. And he washes his hands of us. And he puts us under judgment, separated from him. Now, point number two is under the influence. Let me pause. In this text, there's no doubt we're talking about under the influence of alcohol, right? It says he was under the influence of wine. But I want you to know something. There's more influences in our life than just alcohol. You may say, well, I'm not under the influence. I'm a teetotaler. I don't drink anything. That would be me. But if we're not careful, we find ourselves, we place ourselves, we allow ourselves to be under the influence of other things other than alcohol. We do it from false teachers that we might see on television. We do it by watching uh, news broadcasts that's just full of absolute muck, okay? We have conversations with people who may pretend, as it said in Romans 1, to pretend to know God, but they really don't know God, pretend to be wise, but they're really not wise, and so we put ourselves under their teachings. Sad state of reality in our uh, education institutions around the world, our upper education, college, uh, it's about 99% liberal theology, left-wing a mindset. And so for a conservative biblical value, you really have to search to find a school that will teach 
truth based on a biblical worldview. So what we all do is we find ourselves under the influence. Now, so far you may say, that didn't, didn't get me. Sometimes the influence looks like this. I look down the street, he got a new pickup truck. I look down the street, man, they got a new SUV. I look across the street, they're putting in a swimming pool. I look down the street, he's got a, this one gets me, I don't understand this. He's got a $70,000 truck and he's pulling three razors on a trailer. There's a guy, I don't, I don't know how the, somebody even gets to that place. All right, and so all of a sudden, you know what I need? I need a truck, an SUV, a swimming pool, and three razors. All right, we're under the influence of our neighbors, and we never even saw it coming. And so we have to be careful that we don't place ourselves intentionally or unintentionally under the influence. What is the influence? Listen to me. Anything that moves us away from God's word and God's will for our life is the influence that we don't need, okay? Now, thirdly, I want you to see this. He's not only unqualified under the influence, now he finds himself under the spotlight. I just love God's word because it tells you all the funny, ugly stuff along with the sweet stuff, okay? Look what happens. Under the spotlight, verse 5. At that very moment, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the royal palace opposite the lampstand. But I'm pause right there. Okay, it's time to sober up. You've been hitting the party juice for too long. The liquid courage is flowing. The tongue is loose, man. Hey! And a hand shows up. Just a hand. Nobody to go with it. Just a hand. Writing on the wall. All right? And you're looking and you're seeing the back of a hand and a pair of fingers writing something on the wall. It's time to sober up. Look what happens. He says, opposite the lampstand. So the king was watching the back of the hand that was writing. Then all of the color drained from the king's face, you think? It says, and he became alarmed. The joints of his hips gave way. <laughs> There's probably other things gave way. Kind of wet the bottom of his robe, all right? And his knees began knocking together, knees knocking, stuff that we use, terms we use today. We find them 2,600 years ago. He's so scared, he's pale-faced and knee-knocking. Okay, it's a bad day. The king called out loudly to summon the astrologers, the wise men, the diviners. The king proclaimed to the wise men of Babylon that anyone who could read this inscription and disclose its interpretation would be clothed in purple and a golden collar placed on his neck. And he would be third, hold on just right here, third ruler in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Remember, why third? Remember? Because Nabonidus is one, Belshazzar's two. The best thing he can give him is place number three in the kingdom. And that's what he promises. Now, he goes on and he says, So all the king's wise men came in to look at the writing that this mysterious hand had put on the plaster. And when they came in, but they were unable to read the writing or to make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was very terrified, and he was visibly shaken, and his nobles were completely dumbfounded under the spotlight. Now, None of us want to be under the spotlight. I mean, I am. You ought to be up here. I mean, I barely see you all, okay? I'm waiting for somebody to say, where were you Friday night at 630, okay? That's what I feel like, interrogation, okay? None of us want to be under the spotlight. All of us have things in our closet. Why, no, why the good people don't run for office, right? Because everybody's got a skeleton that nobody wants to dig out of the closet. We all got them. Look at your neighbor and say, boy, you got some. Yeah, some of y'all didn't like me doing that, but it's just real, okay? We got skeletons in the closet, and the spotlight reveals the skeletons, right? 
Now the spotlight's on him. Now listen to me. Here's what's happening. When they exhumed Babylon, they found this banquet hall. I think it was 140 or 170 feet long by about 70 feet wide. And that's probably where they were at. Music's playing, women are dancing, parties going on. And all of a sudden, a hand shows up, begins to write on the wall. You know what happened to the party? Party quencher, okay? Party quencher right there when a hand shows up. Party scene changes. Not only that, but now you see the king, the one that's throwing the party, and he's physically, visibly shaken and moved by what's going on. Not only that, but nobody knows what's, nobody knows how to interpret it. So now everything has changed, and he, everybody's look, all eyes are on Belshazzar. Everybody's looking at him, and yet he cannot seem to find an answer. And listen to me. The whole thing changed. A thousand nobles their wives, the concubines, everybody's there. Everything changed, listen to me, because of a finger. I want you to know something today. God doesn't have to show up and wear you out with a hurricane to get your attention. God doesn't have to send a plague called the coronavirus to get your attention. God doesn't have to give you a diagnosis of a terminal illness to get your attention. God doesn't have to take something you love away from you to get your attention. God can get your attention with the tip of a finger. Why? Because it's not the tip of the finger that gets your attention. It's the power behind the finger. Let me give you an example. When I was growing up, I had three brothers. And we were, when we were in like 11 and 12 getting ready to go into middle school, my parents would sit in the middle. And you know, my I had a drug problem growing up. Everybody knows they drug me to church all the time. And so one of these drug, drug days that they drug me to church, I'm, we, they let us sit in the back. <clears throat> and so Jeff, is, my older brother, is 14 months older. So he's about 12 and I'm like 11. And we had some friends and they let us sit in the back. They had two rules. Do not get up and do not talk. That's it. If you could not get up and not talk, man, you home free. You sitting in the back like you're cool. All right? But if you ever got tickled, which we do, you know, 11 or 12-year-olds, you know, I mean, we got, we, we got tickled. And when that happened, my dad would be sitting halfway up in the middle of this church, and he'd look around, the power of a finger. He'd say, you, come up here, in front of everybody. And we'd give the head nod. I'll be quiet. He goes, up here, okay? Now, if he did it twice... You just did the walk of shame. That's just all you did. I'm going up there, okay? And sit between mom and dad. Middle schoolers sit between mom and dad as a dude. That's cool, okay? Now, was it? were we afraid of the finger? No, no. We were afraid of the authority and the power that motivated that finger to point at us and say, come here. And that's the way it is with God. He can get our attention with the sim simplicity of the move of a finger. Sometimes it's on the wall, but listen to me. Sometimes his Holy Spirit takes his finger and he touches us deep down in our soul and he whispers loudly, more clearly than you'll ever hear audibly through your ears, unmistakably, the voice of God touching your heart. Like when you get saved, when he touches you down deep and says, hey, I know how you are. I made you that way, but I made you for more. I want to invite you into my presence. That's what it looks like, the power of the finger of the touch of God. So sometimes it doesn't matter 
Maybe the music of the world is playing and it's your favorite playlist. Maybe the the people around you are applauding you on and celebrating your greatness. Maybe uh, the energy around you is positive and good and maybe the circle of friends is quite impressive. But when you get under the spotlight, are you ready? When we compare ourselves to God, when we realize, listen to me, that God knows your every thought. Don't you hate that? I like having a big, indescribable God I don't like that he knows my thoughts. I have thoughts that are just ridiculous, and I don't even know where they come from sometimes. He knows our thoughts. He knows our actions. He knows our dreams. He knows our ways. He knows everything we do. We are always under the spotlight before a holy, righteous, perfect, enormous, powerful God. And we need to live like that. So, unqualified, under the influence, under the spotlight, fourthly and lastly, unimpressive. I love this passage. It's just so cool, all right? Unimpressive. Don't we think we're kind of impressive? Don't we kind of try to impress people? You know, when you started dating, when I started dating Kendra like 37 years ago, literally, okay? You know, I'd wash my car. I'd wash myself. Blow my hair dry. That was when, you, when guys used a hair dryer. Woo! Okay, I put some hairspray on there. I put some Jovan for men. Maybe some, maybe some polo green. Okay, yeah, what you see her? I'm gonna go get me some more. Did you see that look she just gave me? Ooh, gonna get me a bottle. <clears throat> she went. She did. She went. I didn't know. Okay, so <clears throat> sorry, I got distracted. So you you would you would try to impress. You'd give it your best shot. And when I would get over there to pick her up in my in my my little green convertible, you know, cowboy boots, okay? What are you laughing at? You got some boots on right now. Look like you walked through the field to get here. So I put them, I'd go over there to, because I wanted to impress her. And when she came downstairs, man, she had hair this big. You did. It looked good too. I liked it. Okay. We married. I liked it. Okay. She'd have, she worried about what she was going to wear. You know, she had gotten fixed up. We're trying to impress each other. And then you get married 35 years, you know. You'll pass gas right in front of you. don't even care anymore. Now, we don't, but I've heard of other people that do. The truth is, now hear me, all that to say this. The truth is, we can try to impress all we want to, but when we stand before God, we're really, if you had to look for an adjective, to apply to self, it's this, unimpressive. We're, we can be impressive next to other people. Sometimes we go downtown and find somebody and say, well, I'm pretty impressive, look at that. We're comparing to the wrong standard. The standard is Jesus, and we're unimpressive. Now watch what happens. I love this. This is due to the noise caused by the king and his nobles. The queen mother then entered the banquet room. Let me just pause right there. Mamaw has been woken up from the bed. Now, we don't know if Queen Mother is Nebuchadnezzar, his Mimi, or we don't know if, if Queen Mother is his mother, Nebuchadnezzar's wife. But she woke up from the party. She's tolerated it long enough. She hears the noise, and it says Queen Mother shows up. And she said, O king, live forever. Don't be alarmed and don't be shaken. Okay? This is the seasoned wisdom shows up. It says there's a man in your kingdom. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, she was not impressed with either her son or her grandson. Belshazzar she wasn't impressed isn't that like 
a grandmother, they'll just tell you like it is, okay? They'll love you. They'll love you through it. They'll give you chocolate even when you mess up, okay? But they're not impressed. They know you for who you are, all right? She says there's a man in your kingdom. She's going to point all the attention from who he thinks he is towards somebody else. There's a man in your kingdom who has within him a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father or grandfather, we talked about that, he proved to have insight, discernment, and wisdom like God. <laughs> he said, everything you don't have, this guy has. Everything you need, he's got what you need. He goes on, he says, she says, And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, appointed him chief of the magicians, astrologer, wise men, and diviners. Thus there was found in this man, Daniel, whom the king renamed Belteshazzar, an extraordinary spirit. She's bragging on him some more. You've got to hate when this happens. He had knowledge, skill to interpret dreams. He could solve riddles. He could decipher naughty problems. Now summon Daniel, and he'll disclose the interpretation. So Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is the one, the captives of Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard about you. <laughs> yeah, he did. He got an earful from me, me. All right. It says how there's a spirit of the gods in you and how you have insight, discernment, and extraordinary wisdom. Now the wise men and the astrologers were brought before me to read this writing and make known to me this interpretation, but they were unable to disclose the interpretation of the message. However, I have heard that you're able to provide interpretations and decipher naughty problems. Now if you aren't able to read this writing and make known to me an interpretation, you will wear purple. And you'll have a golden collar around your neck and you'll be the third ruler in my big old fancy kingdom. Now, that's what the world wants to do is throw the dog and pony show at you. Listen, Daniel knew you're going to make me third ruler in a country that you're getting ready to find out comes to a screeching halt tonight. What a short-lived opportunity to wear a golden collar and a purple robe. And so he didn't want their prize money. He didn't want their rewards. And we'll see that next week. Uh, Queen Mimi steps in and says, listen, listen, you, you don't bring near as much to the table as you think you do. And in fact, if you were half as good as you think you are, the world would be a different place. Unimpressive, and that's who he is. And so Daniel comes along, and he has it all. And God has him in a place. Now, I shared this a couple of weeks ago. You ready? We talked about all of those different kings after Nebuchadnezzar died, those three different kings, and then along comes Nabonidus, and then along comes uh, Belshazzar, and then next week we'll see another king. <clears throat> in fact, you keep reading it. It happens like right now, okay? Cyrus comes in, and he takes over. All of that change, all of that change in direction, all of that change in leadership, all of that change in philosophy and mentality and ideology. And yet there's one common denominator. You ready? The child of God, Daniel. I'm, I've never, I've studied Daniel several times. I've never thought of the power and the significance of the child of God weathering the storms of life like that. I want you to know something right now. We live in a world of absolute calamity and confusion. My goodness, you can turn on the news or listen to a talk show. It'll make your head spin. And everybody's got it all figured out, and yet all of their ideas are different. And I want you to know at the end of the day, when the election is over, 
And when COVID-19 has moved on, I want you to know something. If you are a child of God, you'll be fine. Because God is still on his throne. And he controls everything that happens. Now, I want you to know today that everyone here, at the end of the day, <clears throat> we have to size ourselves up. Here it is. You ready for a question? Today, are you more like Belshazzar or are you more like Daniel? At the end of every day, have you placed more faith in you or have you placed more faith in him? At the end of the day, have you talked more about you and your world than you ha have about him and his world? That's the question. I want you to bow your heads, and I just want to bounce some things off of you for just a second with every head bowed and every eye closed. It's important that our days are lived not to impress the world, not to impress our parents, not to impress the church, not to impress the preacher, not to impress our neighbors. Our lives should be yielded to pleasing the one who created us, our God. It's important that each one of us exert effort every day toward being qualified for what it is God wants us to do. I want you to know with your head bowed and your eyes closed, the God who allowed you to be placed on this planet he has a beautiful purpose and a beautiful plan for your life. All you have to do is pursue it. Become qualified so he can use you <clears throat> for his kingdom purpose. Number two, we've got to be willing in moments uh, in our lives to place ourselves under the right influence. Because we're going to be under some influence. I want to encourage you to dive into the Word of God and let His Word influence you from the inside out. And it's in moments like this now where we have the opportunity to intentionally and willingly step into the spotlight of the Holy Spirit and simply say, God, here I stand. You already watch me and you know me from the inside out. Help me see what you see. And then help me be willing to change the parts that you don't like. And at the end of it, we have to stand here and humbly say, God, I realize I'm just simply not that impressive. But God, you surely are. I want more of you in my life so that you can use me to change your kingdom. I want to be a kingdom changer in the power and through the power of your name. Father, we thank you for this beautiful story of your faithfulness in the life of your child, Daniel. That no matter where he found himself, he was faithful and you had him right in the palm of your hand. God, help us be like Daniel, willing to live lives of faithfulness, pursuing only you and your desire for our life. 
I thank you, God, for every person that's here. I ask that the fingertips of your Holy Spirit will just reach down in our soul and pinpoint those things that you would like to see changed in our life. That as we leave this place today, we will be found more pleasing, more empowered to live for you and not ourselves. God, if there's someone here this morning that does not know you in a real and personal way, it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit will shake them like the fingers on the wall shook Belshazzar. That they will hear your voice and be trembling inside, wanting to know your desire for them, God. And then give them clarity that they'll know exactly how to respond. That they'll give themselves to you. That they'll cry out, I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. And I want Jesus to come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Seal me as your child forevermore. And let this day be marked on the calendar as a day that I, the day that I gave kingship over from me to you. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song. And the altar's open if you want to come and pray. I'll be standing down here if you'd like to talk or if you need somebody to pray with you. Let's stand and sing this song. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.